It is good to say this. Good morning, church family. If you have known the journey my wife and I have been on since uh, the summertime, uh, we have moved or in the process of finishing up um, moving our membership to Mission Church. Um, And so we're thankful to uh, be here. Uh, Eric texted me a letter from the elders at Living Hope saying that uh, they were not going to kick me out, but they were going to bless us to come here. And so uh, thank you for the opportunity to preach. The Christmas season is a unique time. Um, Just yesterday, we're driving from Justin's house um, after Nora's birthday party. Sorry if you weren't invited to the one-year-old birthday party. Um, The cupcakes are in the back. My son gets this awful rug burn, and he is flipping out. We put him in the car, and he is throwing this absolute tantrum. But then something changes when we're driving home as he is weeping over this rug burn on his chest. We drive by this house that has got synchronized lights. And we stopped. And we watched three rounds of lights. But something happened to Rylan. He immediately stopped screaming and crying. Now, did the lights do something magical? I don't think so. Um, But it was something about that moment that completely Uh, transformed him. As we watch this video, as we think about this Christmas season, I think we are challenged with that reality that uh, no matter what we're going through, no matter what the crisis is, no matter how difficult um, Christmas season is for us, um, there are moments where we just stop and pause and everything changes. And so I'm thankful to be able to come here and preach this morning. Um, and, uh, And so let's start with a word of prayer. Dear Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for the opportunity to talk about you in this season of Advent. Lord, we can celebrate and rest in the fact that, Lord, you have come in the midst of our darkness and in the midst of our brokenness, Lord, you have sought us out. Lord, you have planned this rescue from the time of creation. It is clear that Christ was with you in the beginning, counting down the days when he would enter into this world through the most abnormal way possible that any human mind could fathom. So, Lord, I ask as I preach today, Lord, I I pray, I I preach with the confidence of knowing that this story has already been written, and I'm just pronouncing what you are doing and have done and will complete when Christ returns. Lord, be with us as as as, as I bring the word today, and I thank you for passages like Luke 1, 39 through 56. Amen. As a child, I remember growing up um, with great expectation for the Christmas season, um, longing for it, counting down the days I would get more micro machines, more Ninja Turtles, a new bike, new stuffed animals. Yeah, I was that kid until I was like 12. Um, and, and, And if you remember this, Major League Baseball for the first Nintendo it was like the first baseball game that had come out. And I remember vividly, I almost got the video for y'all this morning, vividly remembering screaming in my pre-pubescent stage as loud as I could, piercing glass windows in excitement to get this game. Uh, you know, the, the, the game wasn't that cool as in comparison to now where I can like make my own face and play the game. Uh, they look more like Minecraft villages and characters. It was, it's weird how that has come back today. For me, Christmas was always something worthy to lose sleep over as a child and to constantly annoy my parents with questions about presents and our plans. Now I'm reaping that in my five-year-old who's doing the same thing. From the picking of the tree to the hanging of the lights to the anticipation of Christmas morning opening gifts, I remember those emotions, those aromas. The sounds and the laughter. I remember going to my grandmother's house after each Christmas morning, consuming eggnog over the legal limit and opening gifts with all of my cousins. It was a joyous time. I remember every year running covert operations with my brother and sister. Can I get an amen, Anna? Of checking out what was put under the tree. Every year my mom tells me this story. When I ran into the room before the sun had arose and I came in and I said, Mom! Mom, there's a cave in the living room. That cave just so happened to be a tent. 
See, for a child, this time of my life carries so much mystery and joy and excitement that it was beyond my ability to even comprehend a tent from a cave. Or maybe I was just slower than the rest of the kids. My siblings would probably say the latter. But through the traditions, as I got older, the joyful anticipation of Christmas season will continue on for generations to come in my family. For some, Christmas excites us. For others, it brings sadness because of the reminders of loss in our life. And for some, it brings great anxiety because of the bad relationships we spent all year trying to forget and avoid. Whatever type of emotions you're feeling right now about the Christmas season, we must acknowledge that Mary's situation is not comprehensible by any person in this room. She was a virgin who became pregnant supernaturally by the Holy Spirit. She was embarking on a nine-month journey that would change the course of human history. She was ushering in the giver of salvation and playing a part in seeing God fulfill over 300 Old Testament prophecies about the coming Messiah. In this time, Mary was reconciling how to have faith and trust the Lord and have ultimate joy in Him and not in what she had dreamed up for herself. Her future husband what it was going to look like at her wedding day. What it was going to be like to shepherd her future children. Mary is trusting God as he, through his spirit, placed the Messiah in her womb to carry him so one day she may be covered by him so that she can may enter in salvation. Mary is trusting God as he, through his spirit, placed the Messiah in her womb to carry him so one day she may be covered by him to be carried to the face of her creator in salvation. For this reason, in Mary's life, she's probably not encountering the same things you and I encounter during the Christmas season. When Gabriel revealed she would carry the Messiah, she had no one to relate to, no one to talk to, no birthing class to go to. She had nothing. Apart from Joseph, who had not been confronted by the angel Gabriel yet, he, he had to have known about this promised Messiah, as she had told him, but she was alone with her thoughts, her fears, her struggles, her pains, her sickness, in the midst of the greatest known prophecy being played out to all mankind in her womb. Have you ever been in a position where everyone knows what you're going through, but you feel absolutely alone? While prophets had gone before her and died in expectation of the Messiah's coming, we can only imagine what she was thinking. Will I be stoned to death? Or become an outcast always on the run? Let alone dealing with her body and her emotions and her hormones changing, she had to leave had to live on guard in fear of her life, but also fight the devil, had to fight the devil's temptation to abandon the responsibility. Then in God's grace, Gabriel announced the last part of the news. He says this, And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren for nothing will be impossible with God. So not only are you pregnant as a virgin, but your relative Elizabeth, who somewhere between the ages of 60, 70, and 80s, everybody loves to argue about that small detail, all we know is she is old. She's filled with a child who is the prophet, who has come to usher in the Savior, and Mary, this can only happen because of the work of the Holy Spirit. So now here we are. Mary is going hastily to a town in Judah to see Elizabeth. So now, in the honor of God's word, let us all stand as we read our text for this morning. If you do not have God's word with you today, there's a pew Bible in front of you. It should be page 856. So if you turn to me in page 856, we're going to read from Luke 1, verse 39. 
In those days, Mary arose and went to haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And then Mary responded, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for He has looked on the humble state of His servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For He who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is His name. And His mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with His arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich He has sent away empty. He has helped His servant Israel in remembrance of His mercy as He spoke to our forefathers, to Abraham, and to His offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months, and return to her home. You may be seated. In those days, we see quickly that she heard this news, and she went hastily into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. So here is Mary. She's hastily ran to the country, hearing of Elizabeth's pregnancy, and was a sign of comfort for her and a way to gain confirmation of Gabriel's announcement from the Lord. To Elizabeth's surprise, she's journeyed over 90 miles, packed with land of hills and valleys, studded with many, many rocks as she traveled. Theologians debate on this, but we don't know what her mode of transportation was, but I can surely bet it was not a land cruiser. That would have been cool. But it was either by feet or donkey. But we can guess clearly that it would have taken her three to four days or nine to ten days of journey. Anybody up for that in the first trimester? Anybody feeling that? Huh? I don't know. I can't answer that question because I can't do any of that stuff. But Elizabeth had no expectation of Mary's arrival. But when they encountered each other, we quickly, quickly read of sheer excitement and joy. Mary needed to be with Elizabeth. She needed to be with her. Mary is someone around the age of 13 and 14 who is pregnant as a virgin. Can, ima- can you imagine how the conversation would have gone with her family? Uh, Mom, Dad, <laughs> we need to talk. <laughs> um, there's a baby in me. But hold on, before you jump to conclusions, like I did something I shouldn't have done and I would have completely shamed the family, God did it. The Holy Spirit put a baby in me. Like, can you imagine what that conversation would have been like? These two miracle births are about to collide with one another. Medically speaking, Elizabeth's womb was barren and unable to conceive a child while a young teenage girl waited in expectation for her wedding day, has been chosen to usher in the Savior of the world as a virgin. Culturally, one would be looked upon in amazement and confusion, and the other would be looked upon as immoral, and seen as one who spoke the language of crazy talk. Running to Elizabeth, Elizabeth provided a time of joyful celebration and comfort. Mary had no one to talk with her through this miracle pregnancy that could relate other than Elizabeth. See, what was something so unique about their pregnancies was they were God-inspired, God-ordained, and God sovereignly chosen them both to carry this responsibility. I don't believe the text is downplaying Joseph here. But if you notice, she just left him. So I'm out of here. Some would say because of fear for her life and protection. Others would say because she needed to see Gabriel's announcement confirmed. 
Joseph didn't have much to offer in this moment. If you look back uh, in, um, if you look back in uh, whoop, Matthew, in verse 19 of chapter 1, and her husband Joseph, being a man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife for that which, he con is, which is conceived in her womb from the Holy Spirit. It was clear that, that God was calling Joseph to do some very simple but important tasks. It was to provide protection, provision, and a promise to commitment to Mary and Jesus. Joseph had to give up so much. He was going to raise a child that was not his, but God ordained him to be Jesus' earthly father. Can you imagine that? With that responsibility. She needed to be with Elizabeth more than she needed Joseph at this time. Her time with Elizabeth affirmed God's calling in her life. Church, in times of trouble, doubt, or in this case, a chosen calling like Mary, we run for confirmation and counsel from those who have been through similar situations or have the gift of compassion and discernment. This is one of God's greatest gifts to the believers in the church. God will use people in our lives to comfort us in our struggle and conflict. Through the gospel in our lives, we have the joy and gracious opportunity to carry each other's burdens. When we don't do this, we stop being the church to one another. When we don't do this, we have forgotten the calling of what the church is. As we've discussed in our missional communities, in our pride, we struggle to re receive counsel or help from the body. When we struggle to receive help, we rob others in the church the opportunity to live out the gospel in our lives. You rob that brother or sister in Christ of that joy. Listen to what Leonard Sweet says about Mary. Mary was the example of what it means to be the greatest disciple. She carried Jesus. Our job is not to consume Jesus, but to deliver Jesus to others. Our calling as a church family not, must not be to find our ultimate joy in consuming Jesus or to make the church gathering look more like the world or the next best thing. Sadly, if you've been watching, if you, if you've been watching the opposite has been true for many churches in history, especially in this day right now, churches are removing membership accountability, church discipline, and divorcing themselves from sound historical Christian orthodoxy in an attempt to be accepting of all peoples, all beliefs, and all practices without offending a person's position or their lifestyle. We must look at Mary's life and realize she answered the call and became a carrier of Jesus rather than a consumer. Why are churches so tempted to want to bend and flex the rules? Because we have so made it about us. Consumers of Jesus focus on trying to find their best life now. Where carriers of Jesus lay down their life for the broken and hurting. It is clear. The Christians call the life of a Christian is to die. Make disciples that will then take the gospel to the nations. Recently, a representative of the Operation Christmas Child was heard speaking at a college in South Carolina recently. He said the following quote. Now hang on for this. Do you want to change lives? You don't have to get a passport. All you have to do is to sit in your nice air-conditioned living room, pack a box, and let that box go and spread the gospel for you. Going to the nations is not by feeling a shoebox in your air-conditioned living room. This is an embarrassment to the Christian church. We have shaped missions around us, around consumerism. We must look at the calling that Mary accepted. She went, she carried, she laid down her life. The calling of a Christian has never been shaped around what is best for us. 
Making disciples among all nations about, is about dying to self. Let me be clear. We are called to participate in missions in one or two ways. We are either being sent or we are the senders. And both of these ways, most, is a, most cost us something. If it is not costing us something, then it is not a risk. If the Christian life is not costing you something, it is not a risk. To be a carrier of the gospel, it must cost us everything and produce joy, everlasting joy, not something a gift will provide for us, not something that will be done for us, but something that we lay down. In these next two weeks, this is my shameless plug, we have a great opportunity to make a sacrificial gift to our International Mission Board. They are the sending agency of the Southern Baptist Convention. Every year they have what they call the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. If you don't know who Lottie Moon is, you are missing out. She was an incredible missionary. The IMB is who sends our partners like Mark and Parker Phillips. We have an opportunity these next two weeks to participate in being a sender. Some of you might love to go do international missions, but due to things outside of your control, God has called you to be a sender. So send and read the stories of what your sending does for the kingdom. Mary laid down her life. Whatever you should have of me, it is yours. So what are you finding your joy in this morning? Is it being a consumer or a carrier of the name of Christ? A consumer's first thought in the morning is, Lord, what is best for me today? A carrier's first thought is this, Lord, send me, I will go. Mary knew what was at stake. To bear Jesus meant she could potentially bear death through stoning. She knew and understand the, understood the prophecies. In Mary's youth, she grew up learning a Savior was coming to rescue His people and all of creation. But I'm sure she would argue. She had no thoughts that she would be the one who would be present when the angel Gabriel showed up in her room. Yep. Hey, it's me, Gabriel. I'm just here to go ahead and let you know it's time to start. No. She was not waiting for the angel Gabriel. She never thought she would be the one to usher Jesus into the world and raise him up from a babe lying in a feeding trough to then watch him take his final breaths on Calvary. Listen, church family, we are truly carrying Jesus. The decisions we make will not look normal to the world. If we're truly carrying Jesus, the decisions we make will not look normal to the world. We might even see ourselves that, that the outcome... We might even see ourselves that the outcome will look good for us. But our faithfulness and obedience to the Lord is never determined by good outcomes or success in numbers. But by God Almighty, He defines what success is. Just like Mary, the outcomes looked bleak, but it is the joy we have in knowing that Christ sustains us. The main thing sustaining Mary was God's promise for nothing will be impossible with God. This is what we need to rest in as a church family when we encounter callings bigger than us. When we are being called to adopt an unwanted child. Being called to be missionaries to Syria. Or sending our children and grandchildren to be missionaries across the world. Or having to hold to biblical principles where the law condemns us of that. Or stepping out in faith to share the gospel to that neighbor that everybody hates. The calling will look difficult, but the joy we find in carrying Jesus is too sweet to pass up. Before much could happen in this encounter with Elizabeth, there was a greeting. Now we must understand this greeting did not look like Hey, Justin, man, how's your, good to have you at work today. How are you doing, right? Or good to see you at worship. How are you doing today? Um, if you don't know, Justin and I work together. But it was much longer and grander than that. But can you imagine their encounter? It wasn't like, hey, I heard you're pregnant. I heard you're pregnant too. 
heard an angel told you about it. Yeah, me too. No, there was this joy and excitement of knowing that, hold on, so the saint, the angel came to you and the angel came to me and he, he's using us to bring the promised Messiah and to being the great prophet of all? Like, what is going on here? Can you imagine this? She entered the house of Zechariah. She greeted Elizabeth. And when they figured out what was going on, and when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb. The baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. If things couldn't get any weirder, like, do you, I don't know, if you're a parent in here, or you have a family member, and you felt the baby kick for the first time, it, it totally messes you up. I was like, what is happening? Why does John leap forward in the womb? He was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was the fulfillment of the prophecy that Gabriel had shared just a few months before. He must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even in the mother's womb. If you have encountered Christ in your life and you're walking with the Spirit, it is something beyond comprehension that the person walking down the road without Christ cannot comprehend. More than this, because he was the promised person prophet to usher in the Messiah, this was John's first announcement. So much so that Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. She exclaimed with a loud cry after John leapt. Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. As Zechariah looked on in amazement, completely mute, if I may add, he was witnessing God's faithfulness to his people. Elizabeth cried out in joy that she would be in the presence, that she would get to be in the presence of the Messiah. We don't know Mary's state of mind, but we do, do know she was sovereignly chosen. She was a sinful woman called to bear the Son of God through pregnancy and labor. She needed the encouragement of Elizabeth so much that she stayed three months. For most women, this is the toughest part of your pregnancy. Now, I'm not going to at any moment try to relate to that, but I have witnessed it, and I've witnessed it in my friends. But as a sinful woman, she encountered sinful temptation. If Satan, sin, Satan, and death's greatest Goal is to stop the glory of God spreading. We must assume and see that Mary was under great spiritual attack. Did she consider an abortion? Was she tempted with that? Just in 2012, in modern day, unmarried women accounted for 85.3% of all abortions. If she aborted, she would have aborted the Son of God. Though a heartbreaking decision that is made by nearly 2,800 women a day, church, this is, this is not something God can't redeem. I don't know your stories. I don't know the heartbreak of what some of your family members have gone through or your friends have gone through. But God desperately wants to redeem that broken and hurting woman inside who is just wondering, is she valuable? Am I valuable or not? Church, this is a forgivable sin by God through Christ. It is not our job to wage sinful or to wage judgment on 
those that practice abortion. It is our job to love them, to care for them, to show mercy to them. Because the last time I checked, sinful people do not really realize how broken they are and how desperate need they are for a rescue. May this church be a refuge for women who have gone through or have considered going through this. Though Elizabeth proclaimed Mary to be blessed, she was that. But she was just that, nothing more. Mary was a sinner in a lowly and humble state. It was clear God wanted to show Mary she had nothing to do with the work of salvation. It is so easy to take Elizabeth's pronouncement and pervert it and make it more than what it really was. She had nothing to boast in, not herself, but only in the Lord. Our greatest temptation as believers is to add to the gospel or assume we have something to offer God in our salvation. If you've not taken time to study and to read a book of Galatians, I encourage you to, because it will absolutely rip your spirit apart with this idea that you bring something to the table. You bring nothing. Mary was a young teenage girl in the age of 13 to 14, sovereignly chosen. This is all. We must reconcile the false truth about Mary. She is not whom we go to to gain forgiveness. She is not a divine being as we think of Mary. Let's consider these words from John Piper. Bless the mother of Jesus, but mainly be the mother of Jesus. The veneration given to Mary in the Roman Catholic Church is beyond what is warranted by the New Testament. In fact, it is astonishing how little we see of Mary in the New Testament. Let us honor her in unique motherhood. Let us count her blessed as the mother of our incarnate Lord, but let us not put her on a pedestal that neither she nor Jesus would have approved of. Jesus ranks obedience to the Word of God above the special veneration of His mother. When an individual, a woman in the crowd, came to her in Luke 11, she raised her voice and said, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast which you nursed. But Jesus replied, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Then we get to Mary's response. It is beautiful. We see Mary respond to Elizabeth in, in verses 46 through 55. It's one of the most beautiful songs in all of Scripture. Mary's song was lyrically inspired by the Holy Spirit just as the, as the Old Testament prophecies of old. 2 Peter 1.20 says this, Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Mary said this, My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. When we begin to walk with Jesus, there is a growing knowledge and experience in our relationship with God that increases His bigness in our hearts as a believer. I've been a believer since I was 17 years old. And the more I grow, when I feel like it's just a limp, and the more I learn about the bigness of, the more I learn about the bigness of God, and the more sinful I feel, and sense that, am I gaining or learning anything? In the, in the work that God has called me to be a part of, it could be a very lonely place. I'm not trying to say, oh man, we need to you know, write Brian encouraging notes or something. It's not what I'm trying to say here. But encountering so much brokenness causes me to long for more of the bigness of God in my life. Colossians 1. I believe these are some pronouncements that we should believe in our spirit and, and live out. In Colossians 1.15, He is the, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. 
For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created in him before all things. In him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. We need a Savior that was there in the beginning, that had a hand in choosing you for salvation. We need Him to be the head of the church. Because if He is not the head of the church, who will pastor us? Who will lead us to the throne? John 1, 1 through 3 says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Not anything made that was made. He participated in all of this. Hebrews 1, 1 through 3, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. We must announce the Messiah in this way. We must magnify the Lord. Our spirit must rejoice in God our Savior. Verse 48. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Many interpret, well, if she is blessed, then I must get close to that. Mary understood the state of God's people in need for a rescue. This is not something new for her. This is something she learned, she was taught, she read about. God had been silent for 400 years. We can't even have silence for five seconds without getting uncomfortable. His people had been waiting for this rescue for 400 plus years. Lord, speak to us. Pronounce to us. We even see what was happening with Zechariah. He was hoping that he would hear a word from the Lord. And he spoke. And he was so surprised by that that he, was, he lacked faith and he was silenced for over nine months. She has read how her earthly mother, how she has read how her earthly mother and father, Adam and Eve, rebelled and disobeyed God. She understood what all of create how all of creation was cursed. But she also knew creation was holding its breath, longing for Yahweh to speak and send a rescue. Secondly, Mary understood God's blessing upon her life. She understood her blessing because she understood her position apart from God's grace and mercy. This was not a pronouncement to say, look how great I am. It was a pronouncement of, look how small and weak and unworthy I am. People that understand God's blessing on their life is not because they think they deserve it or believe they've earned it, but because they know they don't deserve it. You do not deserve anything that you have. You do not deserve the salvation that you bear. A blessed person understands they deserve death. The full cup of God's wrath poured out onto them and eternity in hell. Do you understand you deserve this cup? Do you understand this is what you should bear? If you do not know, I pray that through the power of the Holy Spirit, your heart will be awakened and your spirit will change and you will long to know intimacy with the Father through Christ our Lord. Mary acknowledges in verses 49 through 50 
50, 50. <laughs> uh, Mary acknowledges his power, holiness, and mercy in her life. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Mary understands what she has been shown and given. She has been chosen and redeemed. Apart from Christ, you cannot comprehend God's holiness and power without pouring out His mercy and grace on you. So your eyes may be open to see your position before God apart from His forgiveness. He has chosen you. He doesn't need your acceptance. He wants to accept you. You work so hard to be accepted by others. I work so hard to be accepted by others. I'm confessing all the time how I struggle with being a workaholic. Not because I love work, because I'm trying to gain my acceptance. He wants to change you from the inside out. From being a consumer to being a carrier of this great grace of salvation. I close with these last few verses. And I pray you will process these points of application. Jesus wants to continue his plan of bringing a mighty reversal on us, the church, our city, and our nation. What is this great reversal? That we don't go to church, that we are the church. We are not to be consumers, we are to be carriers of the gospel. In the second half of Mary's song, it is the mighty reversal her Messiah's son would bring to life. In 51, she has pronounced, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. First, Jesus brings a moral reversal. Our lives must look different. We must find joy in hating what God hates which is sin, and loving what God loves, and that is himself. We do this by pursuing holiness. In verse 52, he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. Jesus brings a social reversal. Our relationship with the poor must change. Now, I'm not going to try to derail this sermon, but... It's easy for me to do on this sheer point. I will say a couple of things here. How Jesus brings a social reversal, it must change what we do with our money. We must give joyfully. And we must give generously. We must not use the man who needs $5 at the corner of Walton Avenue over by Garcia's. Thank you, Jesus, for that restaurant. But... Our, goal, our job is not to use that, five, that person who needs $5 as our method of penance. Because we realize and we're con being confronted with the reality that we have been disobedient in our calling to care for those in need. We must also realize in how God brings a social reversal is that there is no level of hierarchy here. We are all in desperate need of the rescue. We are all poor in spirit. We are all broken people. Assuming that we have what the poor needs because we are wealthy, wealthier, more educated, and have more stuff is quite a God complex. But realizing that they need bread and we need bread, but we have the bread of life. And we can take that and walk with them. Verse 53. He has filled the hungry with good things. And the rich he has sent away empty. He has filled the hungry with good things. And the rich he has sent away empty. Jesus brings a material and spiritual reversal. Through the work of salvation, our appetites must change. We must find joy in different things. You're like, well, I try so hard. I work really hard to try to change my appetites. I just, came to, came, I, I just seem to keep visiting the same old patterns over and over and over again. 
When we encounter Jesus, it doesn't mean that the struggle doesn't stop. It means that it actually can increase. But before where we had to look at ourselves for the answer, we now look to Christ our Lord as the answer. We are not bound to sin no longer. We are free in Christ. Verse 54, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. And he has spoken, he has spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring. Jesus brings eternal mercy. We look at the span of Scripture that started in the beginning of Genesis, but really picked up some steam in Genesis 12 when God spoke to Abram. He said, you will be the father of many nations, and I will call your people blessed. It is funny how God uses children being birthed through people who so desperately want to have children but can't. Abram was one of those people, he and Sarah. I I give this side note, being a parent now, I never realized how much people wrestle with with trying to bear a child. It is one of the greatest gifts ever. And I am standing on the other side of this with two beautiful boys. But it isn't promised. We live in a fallen world. It's not promised. So when my kids' stuff is all over the house and I get frustrated that they just leave things everywhere, I need to look at it and go, man, I'm thankful their stuff's everywhere. I'm so thankful their stuff is everywhere. But with Abram and Sarah, they longed for a child, but he did more than that beyond comprehension. He said that your children, your child, will be the one who will start this trajectory of seeing all nations bless and have an opportunity for salvation. To fully experience this eternal mercy, you must have your ultimate joy in Jesus. Listen to what happened in this story that we've been going through these last few weeks. We see that Zechariah prophesied it. We see that John leapt for joy. And Mary sang for joy. So the question I leave you with, is your joy found in Christ? And if so, how are you expressing that in your everyday life of taking the gospel to where you work, live, and pray? Is your joy found in Christ? And if so, how are you expressing that in everyday life of taking the gospel to where you work, live, and pray? Are you waking up in the morning and saying, Who will I send? Send me. I'll go. Wherever you ask me to go, I will go. But our heart must break for our city, our heart must break for our nation. And our heart must break for the ends of the earth. So much that when people look at us, they are like, what is wrong with you? And it says, Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. It wasn't as if things were going to get easier now. It was that God used these three months right before John was born, to comfort her, to strengthen her, to celebrate the coming of the Messiah. Let us pray. Dear Jesus, I thank you for the opportunity to bring this good news. I thank you that in your grace and mercy, we look at these stories and we just think, okay, 
It's time for those Christmas-themed sermons, so we better make sure that we are there. Father, I pray we are intoxicated with the gospel. I pray that as we go throughout the rest of this season, well, that our souls will be awaked, that we will find joy in Christ and not in the things of this world, and that we will take the gospel to where we work, live, and pray in pronouncement that He has come, He has died, He has risen, and our Christ, our Lord, is alive. May that shake our souls, may it shake our city. So, Father, at the end of the day, we may hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And that we may hear the relationships around us crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Because souls have been awaked to the work of salvation. Thank you for inviting us to be a part of this story. Thank you for lo using lowly, humble, weak people like us. You do not use us to think that we are more than we really are. You use us, Father, to see that we are in desperate need of you to work and move in our lives. So as we pronounce your name through song, I pray that corporately we see that we have an announcement to take to the ends of the earth. To say that Christ Jesus is Lord and, and, and I am not Lord of my life. Thank you for coming. Thank you for dying. Thank you, Lord, that you conquered the grave so that we may not have to bear the weight of your wrath, but that you so willingly allowed yourself to be offered up as a sacrifice that we are unable to give ourselves. So Lord, as our wheels spin in attempt to try to gain this inheritance, may we see you have willfully laid it down for us at our feet. Not so that we will accept you, Father, but so that you have shown that you accept us in the midst of our sin and brokenness. And we pray all these things in Christ our Lord. Amen.